had hoped you were going to remember bread when you went to the store. I had hoped that you might help me clean the house this afternoon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had hoped that we could go out and do something later. There's There's one link between all of those things. When people say them to you, they wanted something, but they're not seeing it happen anytime in their future. We see, based on the way that the disciples were behaving, that that's sort of the attitude that they were bringing into the conversation with Jesus today. As we go through our reading, we're going to take it one chunk of verses at a time. And through all this, I want us to take a look at, at two things. One, why are these disciples so hopeless? And two, how is it that Jesus goes about dispelling that hopelessness? Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. Their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. You can imagine these two disciples are walking towards Emmaus, and they're dealing with all of the events of the weekend. They had seen Jesus die, And then they had heard some news that morning that the body was just gone. And you can tell based on their discussion, I don't think they really know what to to think about it. And it's here that we we really learn two, two things about these people. First, it is clear that that the word about Jesus was not isolated in the city. And by that I mean everybody seemed to know what was going on. In fact, turn to Jesus, and maybe this feels like a a little bit of a silly moment in the Bible, but they turn to Jesus himself and say, hey, buddy, have you been living under a rock this weekend? Do you not know what happened? Everybody knows what happened. What happened to Jesus on Good Friday was a well-known fact. Everybody knew what had happened. And the second thing that we learn here, too, is that these two people are believers. Because we can see it based on the way that the response is to look down, faces downcast, standing still. You can see just the heartbreak there. These people had, had put all their eggs in one basket. They had put all of their eggs in the Savior's basket. And now they look around and they I don't even know what to believe. I don't know if I should believe that he's coming back. I don't know if I believe that he's who he said he was. Because this ending, us losing his body somehow, this isn't the ending we all had in mind for this prophet, for this preacher, and for potentially this Messiah. They're distraught. And the circumstances in which they find themselves make them extraordinarily hopeless. We continue 
Jesus had just asked what things, and they respond, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. I think we can understand. I think we can understand where these guys are coming from. Having invested so much into Jesus and thinking that Jesus had invested a bunch into them. The, the events of the weekend transpire, and I'm sure they're kind of at that point. Almost like we are when we watch, uh, when we watch our favorite football team and, and they're, they're getting killed. And towards the end of the game, they score a touchdown to cut the deficit to like two or three scores. And somebody's like, hey, 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 there's hope. And, and you say, no, don't even try to get my hopes up. I don't want to hear it. sort of understand that. No, we had hoped for years and years. We had invested in this man. And it kind of feels like the rug's been pulled out from underneath us. So, so no, we're not ready to get our hopes up again. We're going to be skeptical. And the emotions of the situation seem to drive their actions. And you could hear it very loudly in verse 21 but we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Which is essentially saying, we were wrong to trust him. There's something true about, about hoping for something from someone. You are either, one, disappointed by the fact that they didn't do the thing you wanted to, and so you shouldn't have ever hoped for that thing, or two, you shouldn't have ever placed your hope in that person. Should they have really placed their hope in Jesus if this is how it was going to go? If he was going to raise expectations and then just allow them to bottom out? Well, we don't have to speculate. We can see how Jesus himself responds to them. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter glory? I think there's an important detail that we can't miss here. Jesus actually chastises them. He says, really, guys? Did you not understand? And for us, I think, I think this gives us an interesting look into the lives of the contemporaries of Jesus. I think a lot of times we assume that it was very justified that they would kind of have their heads spinning. That they shouldn't have expected he was. And yet, when we read the words of Jesus, it seems like they absolutely should have. Based on everything that they had read in scriptures, they should have understood who Jesus was. They should have trusted him when he said, I'm going to rise again in three days. Based on everything they had heard from Jesus and from the scriptures, they should have known. How do we feel about that today? 
what does this reading really say about us? Maybe it says that we should go, thank goodness, I'm not like them. I actually know Jesus and, and can, can pinpoint what he's doing where in the Bible and what he's doing in my life as well. But that's not always the case. Are you ever angry at God? I know it's, you almost don't even want to talk about it. That's kind of a bleak thing to talk about on a Sunday morning. But are you ever angry with God? You lay out all of these expectations for your life and you say, well, I would hope that my God would give me happiness in this world. And I would hope that my God would, would give my family perfect help. And I would hope that my God would do this, 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 and this for me. And if God doesn't do those things, then he is, is he really a God worth trusting? Is it really worth putting my hope in that God? And it causes anger. As we don't, we don't look in Scripture for the promises that God imparts to us, we, we look right here. And we look at the laundry list of things that we ascribe to God and say, God, this is your to-do list for the day. Get them done. That often drives hopelessness. Because we lay this laundry list of things out for God to do and, and he looks at it and he goes... I don't think so, buddy. I've got my list of things that I want for your life. And then when we don't get them and, and things don't go our way and, and our lives sort of spiral out of control or, or something enters our lives that, that challenges us, we often say, God, what are you doing? I that put that stumbling block, that roadblock in our lives ourselves. Essentially what I'm getting at, brothers and sisters, is that so often hopelessness comes from a misunderstanding of who God is and what he desires to achieve. Jesus chastises those disciples. And for those sins that are attached to hopelessness, no, not just the emotion, but, but the anger that comes that we direct towards God, Jesus says, I've come to create a solution. And he takes the disciples to one place. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. What does he do? He takes him to the word. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, I cannot believe Jesus went to the Old Testament in order to show love and faithfulness to the people. Because so often, isn't that sometimes what we hear from, from people? Sometimes we think that ourselves, is that the Old Testament is just filled with things for that era of people. And that I don't really want to look at the ceremonial laws, and I don't really want to look at the destruction or anything like that, because, because I don't want to see those things. I'd much they look at the New Testament and have the New Testament explain to me who Jesus is because I don't really get a whole lot of understanding from the Old Testament. That is right where Jesus takes them. He says, come back with me. Let's look at Moses. Let's look at the prophets. Let's find all of the promises that God has imparted to us concerning our salvation. Let's find the places where he says, I am here to save the oppressed. I'm here to be with the humble. 
to take care of the poor. Yeah, you go to the, the Old Testament, this takes them to the Old Testament, and they find nothing less than the plan of salvation that God had, had set into motion thousands of years earlier. They find love, they find compassion, and they find mercy. And that's exactly what we find in the scriptures too. When Jesus leads us by the hand and he takes us not just to the Old Testament, not just to the Gospels, not just to the New Testament, but to every single book of the Bible and he says, look and see how this points to salvation. Whether you're in Esther or Ruth, to see how this all points to your Savior who has come to give you hope again. He draws a direct line from the Old Testament to himself. And he teaches us how to do that today as well. That when we approach scripture, we don't see different messages. We see one unified message. I love you, I love you, I love you. And, and for all of those times that you will be faithless towards me, I will be faithful towards you. That drives out the hopelessness. That drives out the fear. That reminds us of our stable, consistent, certain God. We'll finish the reading. In verse 30, it says, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up. And returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Jesus himself had shielded him from their sight until the absolute right moment, so that they wouldn't be overcome by the emotion that they found in, in having their Savior back with them. No, instead, he could do to them what he does to us every single day of our lives. Speak the word into our heart. He uses not this incredible experience with them. He, he simply uses this, this Bible study on the way toward Emmaus. Perhaps, perhaps this is a time for us to evaluate our relationship with God and to see, to see if there's a way post-Easter that we can find ourselves being filled up with hope day after day after day. One of the toughest things in life, I do believe it, is to have a Bible study, a consistent Bible study every single day, whether it's couples or families or just your own personal devotion time with God, I think it's one of those things that, that if, if the habit breaks, it's going to take a lot to get it back. It's not just like riding a bike like that. But maybe it's these weeks, these time to start. You might look at the scriptures and, and you might read through Isaiah and you might Jeremiah, and you might look at it and go, Pastor, I got no idea what they're talking about here. Then, brothers and sisters, I promise you, come and talk to me. We will find you a devotion, one that works for you and your spouse, you and your family, one that works for you and, and God, so that you are able to have a set time, whether that's in the morning or the evening, at a set time so that you can go back to the Word of God and hear His promises in uncertain terms. 
and be refreshed and have hope re-enter your life. Hopelessness comes from not knowing the facts. It comes from not knowing who your Savior is and, and what he has done for you and what he still does for you today. It's why we're so thankful that he, he illustrated it to us perfectly on the road to Emmaus. As he said, don't look for some special experience with God. Instead, find experiences with God in the mundane, in the reading of the word. And watch the Holy Spirit work hope once again in your life. May God grant us the ability to do that today, tomorrow, and throughout this Easter season. Amen.